Tonight's scripture will be taken from Psalms 95, verse 6. Psalms 95, verse 6. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Good evening. We're grateful for your presence. We are going to be looking at Psalm 95. We're going to be looking at a number of passages of Scripture that relate to worship tonight as we think about the theme, Perspectives on Worship. I appreciate Danton reading our Scripture this evening as well as this morning. And I appreciate your presence here tonight. We're very grateful that you have chosen to be here tonight. We're always thankful for the opportunity to be together. And it is our prayer that the time that we spend together will be beneficial to us that our worship would be pleasing in the eyes of God and that we would draw closer to Him. Tonight as we think about perspectives on worship, there are really two things that I want to call your attention to as we think about worship. And there are a lot of different things that come to mind when we talk about worship. And there are a lot of lessons that emerge out of a study of both the Old and New Testaments that relate to the subject of worship. But as we think tonight about some of the perspectives on worship, I want to talk about what we give to God in worship and then what we get from God out of our worship. And so we begin by talking about the fact that as worshipers, we are really coming to give God that which he is rightfully due. And so we want to think for a moment or two about what we give the Lord, what we give God in our worship. And as I think about worship and the fact that we are coming to give something back to Him, I think about the fact that we are really, in a sense, bowing before the Lord. And the passage in Psalm 95 at verse 6, I believe, reminds us of this fact, where the psalmist said, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. As we think about what we give to God in worship and the fact that we are literally bowing before him, we are bowing before his presence, there's some things that I would call your attention to. First, we want to profile the word worship. What does the word worship mean? I know that there are a lot of people that probably know and understand what the New Testament teaches about worship and they understand the terminology that we're using. But when you look at the New Testament, and as you think about the word worship, literally it means to kiss towards, to do reverence to. Some would say that worship denotes acts of reverence paid to deity, and therein lies our first point, that we are giving God that which he is rightfully due. Again, I, I think about some of the Old Testament passages, and one Old Testament passage that comes to mind it's 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29. And I believe that David captures the essence of what we're talking about. When he said, give to the Lord the glory, do his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And really, when we think about worship, we're talking about holy people in the presence of a holy God. Now, I understand that we're not perfect people. But we are, as Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, a holy nation. We are to live a life of holiness. That's what Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. That God is holy and therefore he demands from us 
holy lives. And so we are, the, we are in the presence of God, and as we approach him, we are literally bowing before him. We are paying him the homage, the reverence, the respect that he is due. And so those are some definitions that help us to understand what worship is all about. But there's a second thing that I want to call your attention to as we think about this particular point. We talk about profiling the word worship. But then I believe that as we contemplate worship and all that is involved in worship, we have to make adequate preparation to worship Almighty God. And really this involves the mind. This involves getting the mind ready to come to worship. If you go back and look at Genesis chapter 22, sometimes people have many misconceptions about worship. Worship has a beginning time, a starting time, and an ending time. For example, when Abraham was going to one of the mountains that God was going to show him to offer his son as a sacrifice, he told those that were traveling with him, he said, I and the lad will go yonder and then come again. They were going for what? To worship God and then come again. Well, as we think about coming together to worship, we have to get our mind ready to engage in the various acts of worship. In Psalm 122 at verse 1, the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And so, again, preparing the mind. How do we prepare to go to worship? Remember this, worship involves mental engagement. It involves me being attuned to what is going on throughout the various acts of worship. There are five acts of worship. And so I have to, I have to get my mind ready for worship. And so I think that this would necessitate several things. One, I would, I would recommend, I would suggest that on Saturday night, go to bed early enough that you can get a good night of sleep so you don't come in on Sunday morning and sleep through half of the service. You can't worship God and participate if you're not involved, if you're not actively engaged in the various acts of worship. So get a good night of sleep. Get plenty of rest. And then when you get up in the morning, it, it might be helpful to, to just sit down and, and maybe rope off some quiet time and maybe read some passages of Scripture that relate to worship. A lot of times on Saturday night, I will think about passages of Scripture that relate to worship. Passages like Psalm 42 or Psalm 122. I think about the fact that we are coming together, we are coming together as a body of people in a corporate sense to worship Almighty God. And so we have to get the mind ready, we have to get the mind attuned to what's going on. And so maybe read some passages of Scripture. It might, it might be that you need to spend some time in prayer to God. Again, trying to get your mind ready. Maybe listen to a sermon, or, or, and, and you can do that by watching a television program, uh, In Search of the Lord's Way, or some other program. It might be that you want to listen to a CD, but do something to help you get ready to come to worship. It's hard to filter out the world. And sometimes one of the great challenges is we come to worship and our minds are flooded with worldly things and we're trying to expunge those from our minds so that we can worship Almighty God. So we have to make adequate preparation. And then there's a third thing. And that is 
We have to participate in worship. You and I, we cannot worship God by proxy. Worshiping God is something that each and every one of us are called upon to do. In John 4, verse 24, Jesus said, God is spirit, and they that worship him. We are the assembly. We come together on the first day of the week. God is the audience. And we are coming, and we are coming for the purpose of worshiping him. The various acts of worship compel us to be engaged in those various acts. Let me just cite for you a couple of examples. The Lord's Supper. You remember what Jesus said regarding partaking of the bread and the cup? He said, this do in remembrance of me. When we partake of the bread, we are reminding ourselves of the body that was given by Jesus on Calvary. A lot of times when I partake of the Lord's Supper, as I partake of the bread, I think about what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he said that Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree. As we partake of the cup, we remind ourselves of the blood that was shed on Golgotha. And again, passages of scripture that help to bring to the fore his sacrificial death. I think about Ephesians chapter one, verse seven, where Paul said, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Or Revelation chapter one, verse five, where John said unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. And so we have to be attuned to the various acts of worship. Now there are five acts of worship, but as we partake of the Lord's Supper, what are we doing? We are, we are mindful of those events that occurred on Calvary. That's why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death till he come. Every first day of the week, we remind ourselves of the death of Jesus on Calvary's cross. And then when we sing, sometimes, sometimes during the song service, not everyone participates. And sometimes individuals, maybe they don't sing, maybe they don't participate because in their minds, they don't have a trained voice. Listen, God's not interested in how you sound. What God is interested in is that you offer him the fruit of your lips, the sacrifice of praise. Again, we look at Ephesians 5 verse 19 where the apostle Paul said that we teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. We teach, we encourage, we edify by what? By the song service. We, we don't have a trained choir. And one of the reasons is because when you look at the worship of the New Testament church in the first century, it entailed everyone actively engaged in the act of singing. The same thing's true today. When, when, when we come together on the first day of the week and when we sing, God wants all of us singing together. Why is that? Because we're all to participate. And so it requires participation on my part. When we, when we study from the word of God, when, when you look at Acts chapter 20, verse seven, one of the things that the apostle Paul did on the first day of the week, not only did they partake of the Lord's Supper, but he preached the gospel. 
And of course, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul would say, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. When the word of God is being proclaimed, where's the mind? Are we listening? Are we attuned to what's going on? We can mentally follow what's being said. And we ought to. And that's how we worship. We're engaged. And I will freely grant it is a challenge sometimes. Sometimes to keep our minds in check, to, to stay engaged, but we can do it. And sometimes we have to train ourselves to do that, but we can do it nonetheless. And so trying to filter out the world and focus in on the word of God and, and just try to understand the word of God together as we listen, as we study together, and as we look deeply into his divine word. And then there's a fourth thing that I would call attention to as we think about what we give to God in worship. And that is maybe we need to think about the purpose of worship. Why do we come together to worship? I would submit unto you that one of the things that we do when we come together to worship God is we, we glorify him. We talk about praise and adoration and exaltation and all of those terms, I believe, convey unto us the importance of worship and what we're doing in worship. But again, listen, if you would, to what David said in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29. He said, give to the Lord the glory do his name. God is to be glorified. You and I are to live in such a way so that we bring honor and glory to God. Now, the Bible teaches us that God is glorified through the church in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. When we come together and we engage in corporate worship, we are glorifying Almighty God. We are exalting Him. And there are a lot of things that, that occur throughout that worship service. We, we honor Him, we adore Him, we exalt Him, we offer unto Him thanksgiving. But those are, are some of the things that we do as we engage in our worship to Him. Worship ought to be something that we view or we deem as very important. We ought, to, we ought to view worship as something that not only is important, but that is a privilege. As I mentioned last week in our study, when we come together to worship God, we are in his presence. We may not, we may not recognize it. We may not, we may not pause long enough to contemplate the fact but when we come together as a corporate body of people, we are in the presence of Almighty God. We're in the presence of the one who created us. We are in the presence of the one who upholds all things by the word of his power. We are in the presence of a holy God. And so that ought to spark within us a desire to give him that which he is rightfully due. And again, Worship is giving unto God. And maybe that's one of the problems that we have in our world today. There are many people in our world today, it's all about what they get. And there are a lot of people that they bounce from church to church and place to place because they're constantly looking for some place that, that's going to meet all of their heartfelt needs. I don't have a problem with people looking for a place where their spiritual needs can be met. I don't have a problem with that. But I, I do have a problem when people sometimes have the attitude that they're looking for a place where they can be served rather than where they can serve and where they can worship and serve the Lord as he would have them to. And so 
Again, worship demands that we come into the presence of God and that we give him that which he is rightfully due. Now, there's a second thing that I want to call your attention to. And that is what we get out of our worship to God. What is it that we get out of our worship to God? Are there blessings that come our way from the Lord? I would answer that by saying yes. There are many, many blessings that you and I enjoy. And, and sometimes maybe we forget about those blessings that we enjoy on a regular basis. But you and I, we have the opportunity to stand in the presence of God to offer unto him that which he is rightfully due. Now, what are some of the byproducts that we can expect from our worship? Number one, I would submit unto you in our study that we can expect to be edified. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the writer said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another day by day. There are a lot of benefits and blessings that we derive in our corporate worship. One of those blessings is edification. We are built up, if you please, in the faith. Let me just share with you some of the ways that we are edified or built up in the faith. Number one, I believe that we, that we gain spiritual strength. Is it not the case that you and I want to grow stronger in the Lord? Is it not the case that the Lord wants us to be strong spiritually? Absolutely. Read 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, where Peter said, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Lord wants us to grow. He wants us to grow spiritually. And so when we come together as, as God's people, when we, are in, when we are in his presence, as we go through the various acts of worship, as we listen to the word of God, as it's being proclaimed, what happens? Well, hopefully and prayerfully, we're growing, we're learning, we're deepening our faith. We're developing a rock-solid faith in the Lord. And, and that, that's accomplished by feeding on this word, by spending time in prayer to God, by communing with him as we sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs or psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Those are some things that, that enable us to grow stronger, to be spiritually strong. There are a lot of people in the church today, they're not where they ought to be spiritually because they're not strong. They haven't been exercising that inner man. And we can exercise that inner man when we come together on the first day of the week. And also, we can exercise that inner man when we come together for corporate Bible study on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. What Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, is not out of, it's not out of, out of style, it's not out of date. When he said, study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You can't rightly divide the word of truth if you don't spend time in this book and you don't read it and understand it and, and then thoughtfully and carefully discern it. There's a second thing that I think we derive as we think about edification, and that is spiritual security. Every time we come together as a body of people, one of the things that it does, it helps us become more secure in our relationship to the Lord. When I was 14 years of age, I obeyed the gospel. Some of you probably obeyed the gospel at an earlier age. But some of us, we've been worshiping the Lord for many years. 
And through, through the years, what has occurred as, as we've spent time, countless hours, in worship to God? Has our faith not deepened? Are we not more secure in our relationship to the Lord? We talk about things that are most surely believed. There are some things, as a matter of fact, when you talk about this book, when, when I think about the things that I believe in this book, they are not subject to negotiation. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ purchased the church with his own blood. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is the head of his church, the one body. I believe that when we obey the gospel, when we're baptized into Christ, we enjoy forgiveness of sins. Every sin is washed away. And every time I come together for worship and those truths are reinforced, I walk out of here knowing without a shadow of a doubt that I have put my faith in the one who has redeemed me and who will one day save me. Listen, if you would, to what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, when he said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. The more we worship God, the deeper our faith ought, ought, ought to become. Listen, if you would, to John. When John wrote 1 John, it was toward the latter part of the first century, about 95, 96 A.D., somewhere in there. And John said, this is the record, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. I believe that. And when I come together with a body of believers, and those truths are reinforced, it simply strengthens my faith and gives me great security. And so John would say, he that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God does not have life. These things I've written unto you that believe in the name of the Lord or believe in the name of Jesus Christ, that you may know that you have eternal life. We're talking about security. We're talking about believing the truths of the Bible and having those truths reinforced and coming to a deeper appreciation and understanding of that. So, we enjoy spiritual strength. We enjoy spiritual security. And let, let, me just, let me just add this. Look around in our world and look at the number of people in our world today that have no hope. They do not have a belief system. And we could talk about some of the problems in our country and in our world. And I can tell you what, the problems in our country one of, the, one of the main culprits of our country in terms of the problems that we face, we have been robbed of a belief system. People have sold out in terms of God and his word. But there's a third byproduct as we think about edification, and that is spiritual steadfastness. When, when I come together on the first day of the week or when I come together to, to study the Word of God on Wednesday night, one of the things that it does for me, it deepens my resolve to be steadfast in His service. In, in other words, I take to heart what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, 
when he said, Be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. When people are not here, what does that say? When people willfully stay away from the worship services or willfully stay away from Bible study, what does that say? It says they have a problem with being steadfast, doesn't it? We need all the help we can get. We need all the ammunition we can muster to fight the devil, don't we? And so, if we need all the, the ammunition that we can muster to fight the devil, and if we understand that we are in spiritual warfare, then we're going to deepen our faith and we're going to do what we can to be steadfast and immovable in the faith. And there are a lot of songs that we sing that relate to Christian steadfastness. There are passages of scripture that we read and study together that relate to Christian steadfastness. And so we understand that, look, we are digging in and we're saying, we're here come what may. We're not going to bend, we're not going to bow down to anything that does not harmonize with New Testament Christianity. So, edification. There is a second byproduct to our worship. Sometimes people ask the question, what am I, I going to get out of worshiping God? A second thing is motivation. The motivation to be involved in the work of the church. You know what makes the church great? One of the things that makes the church great is it takes every person working together for the church to operate and be what God would have it to be. Every member of the body of Christ is, is important. Every one of us has some type of talent or ability that we can contribute to the cause of Christ. Now the Bible tells us that we've been created in Christ Jesus under good works in Ephesians 2 at verse 10. Sometimes, well, I think back years ago when I preached for a congregation and they used to have a little sign that was posted outside the auditorium and it said, enter to worship, leave to serve. We come together on the first day of the week to what? To worship. We come to worship but we leave to serve. We're going out into the highways and byways and we're sharing the gospel with the lost and dying world. Every one of us has the opportunity to be a soul winner. Solomon said, he that wins souls is wise. Jesus wants us to be involved in soul winning. Why? Because God would not have any to perish but have all to come to the knowledge of the truth based on 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. So, we can be involved in evangelism. We can be involved in edification. That is, we can be involved in a teaching program. As this congregation grows, you know what we're going to need? We're going to need more teachers. It just stands to reason. The larger the church, the more teachers you need. The larger the church the more people working and serving together, you've got, to you've got to have people working together. And you've got to have people in the trenches teaching. There are, a lot of, there are a lot of classes that we have right now that are ongoing. Sometimes people need a break. Well, when somebody takes a break, somebody else can step up to the plate and teach. That's being involved in edification. And then I think about benevolence. Paul said, bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. In Galatians 6.2, we are to do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. In Galatians 6.10, we have the responsibility of ministering to the needs of others, to addressing the physical needs of others. And listen, if we address the physical needs of people, we can use that 
as an open door to talk to them about their spiritual condition. There are people sometimes that you can help physically and in so doing, you can help them spiritually. In other words, you can get them in Christ. So we have, I guess we have as a byproduct motivation. And let me just say this before we move on to the third point. When we talk about motivation, and I think about, when I think about one of the byproducts of worship, everything that we do for the cause of Christ, it ought to be a labor of love. You remember what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10? God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. When Paul wrote to the saints in Thessalonica, he talked about their labors, their love, their patience. If the church is going to grow and be what God would have it to be, do you know what needs to happen? What needs to happen is for every member to become so saturated with love for God in his or her, her own soul that the church grows and blossoms and abounds. When, when people really love the Lord and when the work of the church becomes a labor of love, you don't have to twist arms. You don't have to push people into roles of service because they respond like Isaiah did. Go back and read Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the Bible says the train of his robe filled the temple, and those angelic beings cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. When Isaiah caught a glimpse of God on his throne and realized his own shortcomings and failures, and when God in heaven asked the question, Who will go for us? Whom shall I send? Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. That's motivation. What spawns that motivation? Worship does. We're in the presence of God. We have a loving God in heaven who has showered upon us all these great blessings. We think about everything that he has done for us. Does that not motivate us to want to do something for his kingdom? To advance his cause? To share the good news of the gospel? If it doesn't, we need to reexamine our heart. And then there is a third thing, a third byproduct, and that is inspiration. When we come together for corporate worship, we're talking about things that we derive from being together as a, as a community of believers. One of the things that we derive is it, it helps us to understand that, look, we're all, we're all striving to go to the same place. It helps to put into perspective and inspire us to strive to live in such a way so that one day we will be with the Savior and with his saints. Do you want to be in heaven one day? This afternoon when I got a phone call from Brother George about the death of Bill Parker, Brother George said, this is what he's been living for. When we come together to worship Almighty God, we remind ourselves that we are living in a temporal, transitory world. This world is not going to last. As John said, the world passeth away. It's fading away. It's temporal. It's transitory. It's not going to stand the test of time. 
And yet those of us who believe in the Lord, we understand our citizenship is in heaven, whence also we wait for a Savior. We understand that we are heaven bound. We understand that we're striving to live so that one day we will be with Almighty God forevermore. I really don't care where I am in heaven as long as I'm there. I just want to be in heaven. And when I think about God's people, all of us, when we come together on the first day of the week, we ought to be thinking about the fact that one day we will worship God and we will be before his throne. So, what about worship? It's true we get many blessings and benefits out of worship. But first and foremost, when we come together, we're coming to give God something. When we give, we get. In other, in other words, when we give God what he is due, then he gives us many, many blessings. Listen again to the psalmist. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. We are blessed beyond measure. Why? Because we're the people of God. Because we have the opportunity to think on things which are spiritual and eternal in nature. And one day when this world is all said and done, we'll be with the Lord forevermore. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to join us because our goal is to go to heaven and we want you to go with us. We're interested in people going to heaven and everything that we do here hopefully and prayerfully conveys that, that we're interested in the lost and we want the lost to come to God. If you've never obeyed the gospel, here's what you need to do. Believe that Jesus is the son of God. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing to him. And then repent of your sins. Give up a life of sin, Acts 2.38. Confess his name before others, Acts 2, or rather Acts chapter 8, verse 37. Be baptized into Christ so that every sin can be washed away, Acts 22.16. When you do that, God will then add you to his body. And you'll be a part of that body that he has promised to save, Ephesians 5.23. And if you're faithful until death, the promise of our Lord is... He will give unto you the crown of life. And he said, it fades not away. So, maybe you're in that, in that state. You're lost. And you know it. And you need to come to the Lord tonight. It may be that you're unfaithful. We encourage you to come. James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. Could we pray with you tonight and for you as we stand and sing?